Now you're ready for the word of God, eh? I'll try, I'll try and get through the introduction. We started it last week. We talked about the protocol of grace. Now I want you to get your thinking caps off because I'm going to be making some statements that I put a lot of thought into, okay? So you need to get your thinking caps off. Just block everything out for the next 30 minutes or so uh, because some of these statements I spend a lot of time on and the Holy Ghost has been very specific about how I should write it down and how I should present it. For those who weren't here last week, you need to get the, uh, listen to the podcast. And if I don't finish it this morning, which I probably won't, I'll pick it up again uh, in May when I come back to preach here. And I mentioned last week that uh, for those who are insisting we bring back obedience to the Ten Commandments as a means to maintain our relationship with God as Christians, for those people who say we should bring back the Ten Commandments to the church uh, in order to get the church more holy. Now, people who say that may be very sincere but they are totally and absolutely ignorant and they have total, a total lack of respect for the Ten Commandments themselves. So the Ten Commandments that these people say we should bring back to the church because they don't understand the purpose of the law. So when I refer to the law, I'm referring to the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, They are totally ignorant as to the purpose the law was given, and also they, they do not give the law its rightful respect when they say we have to bring the law back to the church. For those who preach, we have to do our best to keep the Ten Commandments after we are saved. You see, I sat under this teaching for years. There are many people who say, well, you're saved, yes, uh, but you must try your best to keep the moral law. You must do your best now. Now that you belong to Jesus, it's your responsibility to try to do your best to keep the commandments after you're saved. For for those people who preach like that, they are in fact bringing the church back into slavery and actually bringing the church back under a curse. And that's why many, many large sections of the body of Christ are not enjoying. Listen listen to this. There is more strife and more sin in a church where the Ten Commandments are preached. Because the Ten Commandments are designed for that purpose. To show you how guilty you are. Okay? Just keep watching. Okay, someone's just fallen down a bit. Is she okay? You all right? There we go. There she's okay. Father, just bless that lady there. Is she okay there? Somebody talk to me. Yeah, she's all right. She was drinking last night, probably. <laughs> she's all right. There you go. Fantastic. Are you with me, everybody? What did I just say then? Come on, somebody tell me. Right, exactly. The the more the Ten Commandments are preached, the more sin is actually produced because that's why. Now watch this, right? This is so powerful. Preaching obedience to the law as a means for holiness. You see, when you sit under preaching of the law, you must do your best 
to keep the... Listen, listen. The Ten Commandments don't ask that you do your best. They demand you be perfect. And if you fall short of perfection, then you will be judged. That's the purpose. Preaching obedience to the law as a means for holiness, in fact, produces the opposite. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, I, I haven't got these up, but I'll just, you can check it when you go home. The law gives sin its power. It's the Ten Commandments that actually give sin its power. I want you to think about these things. The law, trying to live under the Ten Commandments as a Christian, actually you're putting yourself, the Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 10, you actually put yourself willingly under a curse. Um, the Bible says the law actually puts you into slavery. Because the law doesn't ask you to do your best. It demands that you be perfect. Watch this now. The law reveals sin, but it's powerless to remove it. The law points to righteousness, but can't inspire it. The law shows us what godliness is, but it cannot make you godly. So if you meet people that say, oh, living under this grace thing, you know, you need a balance, you know. You, you need to try to keep the Ten Commandments. You, you need to pray for them. They need, they, you need to pray that they get the revelation and understanding. And perhaps you may be the means to say, but do, do you know that when you teach people that, you're actually bringing them back under a curse? And they will look at you stupid because they don't understand the positive power of grace. You see, the Bible says it is the grace of God that teaches me to say no to ungodly things. It's not the Ten Commandments. And if you live your life by law, if you build your relationships by law, do this, then I will do this, then you're living you're putting yourself under an impossible situation. Okay? Can, can I hear an amen here? <laughs> the law shows us what godliness is, but cannot make you godly. You see, what's the, in a sense, the law is incapable of producing what it demands from us. It's impotent. It has no strength or power to improve a person. It was never designed for that purpose. And it's amazing over the last few weeks when I've been coming here, I've been talking to people. And I talked to some people last week and they said, you know, you know for, for years we, we, we sat under this teaching. We didn't really know what it was, but we know how it made us felt. We'd go to church on a Sunday morning and we'd come away feeling more guilty than when we went there. <clears throat> and if you sit under ministry... When you leave the church, it makes you feel more guilty than when you came. Listen to me carefully. You've not heard the gospel of the grace of God. And that's why, uh, you know, Paul gave his life for that. He allowed himself, uh, he, was, he was strapped to a post and beaten everywhere he went. He was persecuted. He wasn't persecuted by prostitutes. He wasn't persecuted by, uh, by, by, uh, by uh, schemers. He wasn't persecuted by Gentile sinners. He was persecuted by religious people. 
He was persecuted by people that says, you can't go preaching this grace thing. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments as well. That's the whole reason why the Apostle Paul was persecuted. And you know, you know, when I talked to people last week and they said, you know, it's only when you come out from under that <clears throat> uh, law-based preaching that, that, that and, and they said, since we've been coming here, uh, you know, sitting under the message of the gospel of grace, it's like being, you know, it's like being liberated from slavery, which is what it is. I, I love this testimony here. This couple wrote and said, <clears throat> um, over the past couple of years, my wife and I have been struggling with the preaching in our church. After listening, I feel condemned and powerless. Spiritually, I've become very depressed. Sitting under law-based preaching will make you depressed. And uh, to the point where I had no desire even to attend church at all. Hearing the gospel of grace has been like a fresh ocean breeze blowing on my face. The focus on the finished work of Christ points us away from ourselves. And gradually, I have found myself crawling out of my spiritual depression and wanting to do the things. Watch this. And wanting to do the things. Not because you've been told. If you do something because you're told, you're not doing it with the right motive. Come on, somebody say amen. I used to be a preacher like that. Until I came out, I crawled out of my prison by hearing the gospel. Is anybody out there this morning relating to what I'm trying to say here? And I crawled out and, and wanted, I now want to do the things God has called me to do. This isn't the result of more law in my life, but more gospel in my life. Listen to what I'm about to say. Christianity is not first and foremost about our behavior. And let not sink in. Because the radical message of the gospel of the grace of God does not focus on our behavior. Christianity is not first and foremost about our behavior or your obedience or our response. Christianity is not, the main focus is not about our daily victory over sin. The main focus of Christianity, the first and foremost fundamental thing about Christianity is Jesus and his finished work. Start there, stay there, and you will enjoy your Christian life, and people will see the fruit of the grace of God manifest in your life. They won't see perfection. But they will see authenticity. The Pharisee will be hanged on that scaffold of the grace of God. And for once, people will be able to see. Do you know what? The reason why people can't see Jesus in us is because, you know, because we are living in prison ourselves as Christians. And we want other people to join our prison. No, it's about Jesus and his finished work. <clears throat> the gravitational pull of conditionality is so strong. 
You see, like I said this morning, the most difficult thing we have to do as, be- as believers is believe. We can't handle unconditional love. That's why we don't give it. Always got to be a condition. I will if you will. Now, it doesn't work like that with Jesus. But you see, we are hardwired to believe in conditional love. You know, I can walk around this room right now. And if I asked you, the greatest desire that everyone would have in their hearts, it wouldn't be for more money or it wouldn't be for more things. Do you know, this is the way God created us. The one thing the human heart needs more than anything else is unconditional love. The problem is we are hardwired to believe everything's conditional. Perhaps that's how you were raised. Perhaps that's how uh, people have interacted with you. And so we, 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 it, we, it's very difficult. But folks, I'm telling you something. That's why the just shall live by what? Faith. Our hardwiring for the law is so ingrained in us. We need real friends to remind us of this good news every single day. That we are loved unconditionally. If you believe it, give Jesus some praise in this house right here. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. At the creation, when God had finished creation, he said, it is finished and he rested. After the redemption of the cross, Jesus says, it is finished, now we can rest. And it's time to enter into that rest, as the book of Hebrews says. Entering into God's rest is simply believing Jesus has paid the price and done it. It's that simple, but we try to complicate it. If you're still with me, say amen right here. I've got so many bits of paper up here, I don't know where I am. Right. The Lord doesn't... Yeah, just said that one. Of course you said to move on. Right. See, now watch this. The protocol of grace... I said last week, well, I'll I'll come to that now in a minute. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came, God came in the flesh to change the whole thing. The cross changed everything. But there are many Christians who live as if the cross hasn't even happened. Because they still have their rules, and they still have their laws, and they still have their taboos, and don't, and watch, and stop. That's law. So you will serve God out of fear and duty instead out of my God. Even though I'm an absolute plonker, he's not stopped loving me 24-7. Come on, man. That, 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 should, res- that should cause you to respond, oh, whatever, whatever, I'll do it. That's why people don't do, that's why people walk like this, a tightrope, you know, because they're afraid to fail because they think, oh, if I fail, now I'll get judged. You're living under law. God says, do you know what, Jesus, this is great. If I can remember what it was. No. Do you know what Jesus said to Peter? You're going to fail. Oh, thanks a lot. So Jesus uses failures then. Yeah. You're looking at one. Not you, of course, because he's no flipping holy, aren't you? There's nothing wrong with you. You're going to fail. Peter, you're going to fail. And people don't step out and try stuff for God because they, they, they're perfect-minded. 
Because law is dominating your life. If you fail, you're, you're a failure. So you try to be perfect. And you tell everybody else to be perfect. And you judge other people by your rules. You know why? Because you hate yourself, really. That's why you, that's why you are the way you are. And, and, and that's what the law does. It messes your head up. Look at, look at, look at uh, it says here, Jesus said, Romans chapter 8. This is a great scripture. Romans 8 verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, I love this. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, nobody could keep the Ten Commandments. Only one person kept the Ten Commandments. And he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Come on, somebody say amen here. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous, oh man, that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us. I want to tell you, you are looking at, from heaven's perspective, a perfect person right here. If you want to know what a perfect person looks like, I may not be perfect in your eyes for my behavior, but when it comes to my standing before Jesus, come on somebody, when God sees Ray Bevan, he sees his son, and he says, satisfied. Don't, if you think you can come before God and give him a list, this is why you should bless me, because I've done this, 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 and this, and they haven't done that and that, so look at me, that's Phariseeism. I'm better than you because I've reached the standard. Not realizing nobody, only one person reached the standard, and that's Jesus. He's fulfilled the righteousness of the law. Can we just give him praise for that, everybody? Just thank him for it. It's wonderful stuff. I'm doing good. For many Christians today have the same problem as they had in the early church. Watch this now. They relate, they relate to a new covenant God through an old covenant protocol. Now you need to listen to last week's message. I dealt with that. Uh, let, let me just, let me just, oh, never mind. Oh God. Right. We'll have, we'll have a bit of lunch. I'll come back and I'll finish it. Okay. So is that right? Very, many Christians, they relate to a new covenant God based on old covenant protocol. Like, for instance, I used to preach this. If my people, we know it, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. So the emphasis is on us before God blesses. Old covenant. And I used to preach it. And there are masses of, 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 of people, Christians around the world having repentance sessions. Repenting for the sins of their father. Come on, man. There has been one sacrifice once for all. It's never going to be repeated. It's done. God's satisfied. Come on. And it's Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Our sacrifice. Listen. There's been one sacrifice and it was the last sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus. So when you see these masses of Christians gathering together to repent for the sins, it's an insult to the cross. It's a total, it's a slap in the face. Saying, Jesus, your sacrifice wasn't enough. Look how deep our repentance is. So now, you, how can you measure repentance? 
By how much snot is on the carpet? By how long you're on your face? But how much you beat yourself up? Come on, somebody. Even the repentance that we have to turn, repentance simply means changing the way you think. Oh, sorry, God. Okay, I see now. That's wrong. I'll change. Not, not beating yourself up and I can't take communion now and I've got to have a little bit of guilt for 10 days. No, man, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Stop living under the law. And don't let people put you under the law either. You know, you can see I'm getting a bit up. No, man, I tell you that the anoint God told me, I'm sending you across the planet to minister to my body as an abolitionist because the, the greatest form of slavery is in my church. And it's the gospel of the grace of God that is setting thousands of people free. From, come on, give him praise. In the, from slavery to the law. We all sat and watched chariots of fire. I was rubbish, weren't it, really? For those of you that hadn't seen that, you thought I was having a problem with my hemorrhoids then, didn't you? No, listen. No, chariots of fire. Chariots of fire is a true story about a very, a very, watch this now, godly man. How do you measure godly? Right? And we've measured godliness by externals. We've measured humility by externals. So Eric Little, was, he, was a, yeah, he loved God with all of his heart. But what happened was he was, a, he was an amazing runner. He was um, running in the 1924 Olympics. 1924 Olympics. And the final, he got right through to the final. And the final was on a Sunday. So because of the teaching in the Scottish church at the time, you're a Christian, but you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. He refused to run. And everybody thought, how godly. No, how stupid. How stupid. He could have won that and given glory to God by holding up that trophy and saying, you know what? Jesus has given me this ability to run like many sportsmen do now. No, you know, see, he said, got to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, if you're going to do that, don't run on a Saturday. Because that's the law. And not only that, but if you're going to keep that law, you better keep all of them. Are you here? And you've got to keep all of them 24-7 because if you don't, you're going to get belted. Can you see how stupid this is? And how we've magnified this thing and, and we put ourselves up and I do this and I do this. No, man, it's all law-based. And you know what? You see, you see we, we, don't like, we don't like it when we can't help God out to make ourselves holy. We can't accept the fact that God does it by grace alone. I wonder what Jesus would have advised Eric Little if he had advised him, if he was his coach. That was the main problem in the early church, most of which were Jews. Moses was still their coach, not Jesus. And unfortunately, in the church today, especially in Europe, Moses is still the coach, not Jesus. God wants our hearts, not our habits. God wants our devotion, not our devotions. Oh, I tried it. You know the story. When I tried to make myself holy. 
Anybody never heard the story? Now you're lying now because you want to hear it again, some of you, don't you? No, I was a young Christian. And I loved Jesus. My life was transformed. And, and, it's, and it's mostly sincere Christians who get deceived by this stuff. Because they want to please God. So I was like that. I wanted to be holy. And I looked at the pastor and the pastor of the church. And I, I, I felt I didn't feel holy. I was saved, but I didn't feel holy. I said, how do I get holy? And then I heard teaching, well, you've got to do this. And you've got to read it. You've got to. So I, I listened. I was a white open pit book. They turned me into a flipping monk. All I needed was a little haircut like St. Francis of Assisi. I'd have gone all the way. I got it now. <laughs> Dave, did you say anybody can sit in the front row? <laughs> I tried to make myself holy because the law, when you sit under law, you think I've got to do something. That's not the gospel, folks. And I'd sit there and I'd look at the, how can I get holy? And I'd look at the pastor, I respected the pastor. And he used to wear this white mac. Do you know what a mac is? All right. This white mac, I thought, it's the white mac. I bought a white mac. And I thought, I still didn't feel holy enough. So I read these books. I thought, the holier the book, the more dust on them. So I got these, these old commentaries. I mean, I just got saved. I could only understand Holy Bible. That was deep for me. <laughs> right? So I got these books. I thought, if I read these books, and I read these books, I couldn't understand half the flipping, you know, I thought, no, it has to be in King James, because that's holy. Thou art the earth, the foremost, the earth. I'm reading. So then I read, I read, I, I understood this, that, that, these people used to get up at four in the morning to pray. That's the key. And they, and they always used to pray down a cellar. Do you know what? In the house I was living in, I had a cellar in my house. I thought God has arranged this for me to get holy. So I bought this Bible, right? A Dake's Bible. Great Bible, actually, if you can understand it. It's a very, that was a joke. It was a big, the biggest Bible I could find at the time. Because I thought if I had the Bible, I had a white mark, I got the Bible. So I'm going to church, and I'm, I'm listen, and this is what I'm thinking. I bet they think I'm cool. <laughs> Praise God. And I'm actually thinking in my head, I, see, this is what the Lord does. It makes you focus on yourself. Look how good I am. Look how, I bet, and I'm thinking, huh, I bet you wish you were as holy as me. Yeah. <laughs> got the mark, I got the big Bible. So then I read about, oh, they go down in a cellar and they, they actually got a little prayer mat that they spread on the floor. And at four o'clock in the morning, they go down in a cellar before they go to work and they pray. So I got my white mark on. I thought, I'll try this. Because this is, I said, God, I hope you're watching this. I hope you're seeing this. Because that's what you're saying inside. Right? I hope you're seeing this. I got my Mac up, my Dake's Bible, four o'clock. I, I have to be in work by seven. So, I got up, down the cellar. Oh, spread myself out on the floor. I was ready. 
my white mark. Then I started, almighty effervescent, and all them other words them people use. But, and I'm going like this. And I got a candle. Oh, God, I could get up easier. I had a, they had candles. They all had candles because they're not electricity. Then they had candles. So I had two candles there, boy, right by the head of my prayer mat. And I'm down there, Holy Almighty! And I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking, I want to talk to God. I'm thinking, God, look at me. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I had a video here. So I could show people exactly what I do in the mornings before I go to work. Well, I was down there like five minutes and a gust of wind came, blew the candles out. And I'm actually afraid of the dark. <laughs> Honest to God, I ran upstairs. I was scared. I was scared out of my head. I ran upstairs, oh, and then pretended, oh, you know. I was having, do you know what? I, 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 was having, I, I was close to a nervous breakdown trying to get holy. It wasn't doing it. I still didn't feel holy. Then I, then I, then they, then I, one, one brother. Hello, brother. And I, I, I just got saved of a rock band. My hair was down here. Did you know? It's a shame for a man to have, to have, to have, what the heck was that? It's a shame for a man to have long hair. I was in the Bible, but it's out of context. I goes, what? That's what it is then. Look at my hair. I got the Mac, I'm down the cellar, I got the big Bible. Okay, the cellar is a thing, I have to deal with that. Spirit of fear of the dark. But Anyway, so I got my hair cut. I went down to get my hair cut. My God, I did look like St. Francis of Assisi. I had a bob. Can you, do you know what, do you know why you're laughing? Because some of you nutcases have done the same as me in different ways. No, I'm serious. So then I went, and then you had to be in all the meetings, the meetings, the meetings, the whole, everybody was in the meetings. Now I'm down the cellar at four o'clock, I'm knackered getting up for work. Then I've got to wear this stuff. Then I've got to go to the meetings. I went to all the meetings. I went to the sisterhood. I was there. I went to the silver linings. I was there. I was <laughs> and I'm, when I got married to Lila, right, I had the long hair, right? And the first thing that I know this, right, when she first saw me, the first thing she thought, I'd love to get my scissors on that flipping mess, okay? So anyway, so she cut my, the first time I had a number three like this, right? I was depressed for three days. Wouldn't speak to her. I was depressed for three days. I look in the mirror and I just see my father. Who wants to look like their father? So I'm telling Lila, look like my father. What have you done to my hair? And her answer was, trying to pacify me. Well, don't worry. You're the same age now as your father was when he was your age. Anyway, where was I? Sisterhood. I still didn't feel holy at all. I was trying my very best. <clears throat> I got the Mac, I got the hair, I got the Bible, I'm down the thing, I'm in the thing, I'm in all the meetings. And I was, I, was, I, was, I was close to a nervous breakdown. I really was. I said, God, I can't do this. And he said, I've been waiting for you to, to tell me that. He said, I, he said, I didn't want to. You know, when you were down the cellar, I called Michael over. Do you want a good laugh? When was the last time you had a good laugh, Michael? Look at this idiot down there, look. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. That everybody, I thought it was the three-piece suit. Everybody used to wear three-piece suits. 
I went down to John Collier. John Collier, John Collier, the windows to watch. Do you remember that? Come on, how many remember that? John Collier, John, come on together after three, three. John Collier, John Collier, the window to watch. I went down, for, I thought, I'm not getting any suit. I'm not going to make to measure suit. I went down for a brown, a brown suit with stripes. I came out looking like a banana. <laughs> Peeled. The point I'm trying to make, you know what? And the Holy Ghost said, Ray, why are you trying to do what I've already done? Why do you think I'm called the Holy Ghost? Because you are not the Holy Ghost. I am the Holy Ghost. Ray, just believe what my son has done for you. Just, just let me love you. Let me change you. Let me, let me do it. And you know what, folks? I tell you, it's a liberate. Come on, give Jesus some praise. Now give him a big praise in this house right here. Somebody shout hallelujah! Because Moses, I'll just bring this to a close and I'll, I'll be back again in May. Thank you. And uh, God, that's what I was going to say. God wants our hearts, not our habits. You know what? You can come up to me and say, I read 14,000 scriptures a day. I've memorized the book of the whole Old Testament. I did that. that, that. You know what? It means squat if you can't love people. It means squat if you can't forgive someone. That's what God sees. The heart. He can deal with your imperfections. In fact, he's already dealt with them. It's this here. That's the, it ends, starts and ends here. Don't bring him your devotions if he, if he hasn't got your devotion. In other words, Lord, thank you. That was the very reason. I'll bring this to a close now. Have I said that already? But I will say it again. I am coming to the end here. He wants our hearts, not our habits. The, that's the very reason the book of Hebrews was written. I, I wish I had, I, I, I got three days here. The book of Hebrews, and I'll just throw this out, was not written to Gentile Christians. So why then do we take a verse like, in Hebrews 6, it's impossible to bring back to repentance those that have fallen away. And they say, see, you can sin yourself. No, it's got nothing to do with Gentiles, Christians sinning. A Gentile Christian had no idea of the sacrificial system in the temple. They didn't know about animal sacrifice. No, it was written to the Hebrews. It was written to Jews that embraced Christianity. Watch this. But they, they, they didn't want to continue because of the persecution. So they said... Now, we're not following Jesus now. We want to go back to the old system in the temple. That's why the book of Hebrews was written. You'll understand it when you understand context. The book was targeting a very special group of people. And the whole book of Hebrews is an appeal by the author to stay with Christ. Don't go back to your sacrificial systems. You know why? You go back to that, there's no hope for you. That's what he was saying. They want, watch, see, 
I'll bring this to a close, third time, but I will. Watch. They wanted to relate to God with an old covenant protocol. The author declares, listen to me, listen to me. Jesus has changed the protocol. And if you go back to sacrificing animals, do you know what? You've only got a few years because the temple's going to be destroyed. You've got nowhere then. Where are you going to go then? Where are you going to sacrifice? How are you going to approach God then? It's finished. It's done. And then these scriptures in Hebrews make sense. Hebrews 6, chapter 4, verse 6. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were enlightened. Doesn't mean they saved. Those who are enlightened. I wish I had time to expound this scripture. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven. You can have people sitting in church Right? Under the, the preaching of Jesus, being enlightened by Jesus, and, and experiencing heaven and tasting the presence of God without being saved. And a lot of these Hebrews here, they weren't saved, they just embraced it. Look, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the ages to come, and who then turn away from God. What he's saying is, if you, if you want to approach God based on the sacrificial system, there's no hope for you. It is impossible to bring such uh, people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing to their cross again and holding them up to public shame. In other words, we want the animal sacrifices. Jesus, it's like, it's like nailing him to the cross again. And saying, we don't want that sacrifice, we want the old stuff. No. Hebrews 10 verse 1 to 2. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. A dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, then the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Thank God, Jesus came. One sacrifice, the last sacrifice for anyone who will believe that. Come on somebody. And you can approach God boldly. Ah, time has gone. I'll tell you what, I'll pick it up next time I come. Is that okay with everybody? Stand to your feet right now. And I want you to give, when you stand on your feet, could you give Jesus a big clap, somebody? Come on. Now, come on, somebody shout hallelujah or something here. Just look at me for a moment. Oh, man. Why would you want to live one more day without Jesus? Do you know why some people don't come to Jesus? Because they think, well, if I give my life to Jesus, then I've got to become a monk. I've got to obey the Ten Commandments. I've got... No, you haven't. Jesus has done that for you. All he wants you to do is believe that you are forgiven. That's hard, isn't it? Because some of you really don't like yourself. You've done stuff that could make my hair curl if I had hair. That was a joke. Some of you are sitting here, standing here today thinking, I, I'm not that type of person. Oh, really? So you don't want to go to bed at night tonight then, knowing that you are forgiven of all your sin, past, present, and future, 
that you go, go to heaven when you die, that you have a, that, that hole in your life is filled, that I wonder who I am question is done. So you'd rather go and live your life, and when things go bad, you know, you don't know who to go to, so you get smashed or do something stupid or whatever. You'd rather live with insecurity and loneliness and fear when Jesus stands here and says, believe that I died for you personally. All your sins have been forgiven. And all he says is, if you believe that, then the gospel will radically change your life. You'll start a new life right here, right now. I did it when I was 19. Never regretted one day of it. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, watch over your word right now to perform it. I know there are people here and they long to relate to you, but they... They, 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 they've just been told the wrong thing. Lord, I, I just know that they've tasted your love this morning. They've seen something different. And I'm asking you now to grant the gift of repentance to these people so they can change their mind about you. And with every head bowed, every eye shut, I'm going to count to three in just a moment. When I count to three, I, 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 if there's people here that say, want to pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive forgiveness for all my sins and I ask you to come to live in my life and change me. As unworthy as I am, here I am. All I got to give you is this. But Lord, thank you that you will accept this. With every head bowed, every eye shut, I'm going to count to three. If you want to connect with God, really connect with God just by believing, when I count to three, I want you to raise your right hand high And then I'll see it and I'll pray for you. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise it up really high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, mate. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. There's some more. I know there is. Don't leave. You're in the presence of perfect love here. Perfect love. Is there one more? Raise your hand. Say, Ray, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I, I want this unconditional love. Okay, everybody look at me right now. Those that raise your hands, would you please give me the privilege of praying for you? Do you know, I live for this. So what I'd like you to do, for those who raised your hands, grab your personal belongings or a friend. That could be a person belonging. Uh, and could you leave your seat if you raise your hand and come stand facing me here? Could you if you raise your hand? Come on, let's give them a big clap as they come. Come on, <clears throat> just come and stand right here. <clears throat> that's not a clap, folks. That's, that's a, I want to cheer. I want, if you raise your hand, come and stand in front of me here. Come on, folks. You need to give the, the angels rejoice, man. Come and stand right here. Just face me. That's not a clap. I want a flipping clap and a shout. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's so cool. Do you know what? Those of you standing here, let me ask you one more time because there may be somebody else here. Is there one more? If you've come with a friend, just turn to your friend and say, look, I'll I'll come with you. Is there one more person that really knows this is my morning where I want to connect with God? Come on, Paul. Come on, let's give this young man a big clap. Well, look, fantastic. That's awesome. I knew this one. Uh, that's awesome. It's fantastic, man. Anybody? Is there one more? 
Is there one more before I pray? Are you coming? Come on, let's give them a big clap. This is awesome. Is the little girl coming? Wow. Wow. How old are you? You're six. And you're going to give your life to Jesus today. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? That's so cool. Uh, Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming out. Listen, it takes a lot of guts to do this. But the reason why I do this, whenever Jesus called people to follow him, it was always in public. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to be ashamed of what you're doing. He's not ashamed to stand with you even when you go through your worst time. When people reject you, he'll never leave you. When people say bad things about you, he'll always say good things to you. Always. All right? I want you to bow your heads one more time and everybody in the building, along with these people, pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I receive forgiveness of sins. I open up my heart and I invite you in to be my savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, God's got a, God's got a, a great plan for... I, I, I would never dream. I never would have dreamt. When I stood like, like you were, I was 19, didn't know anything about Christianity, nothing. And I stood like you now. I never would have dreamed that I would be doing this. What's your name, young man? Sorry? Nigel? How old are you? You're 15, Nigel. Nigel, God's got a real something special for you, my friend. I'm telling you, you you don't know yet. You've had lots of friends praying for you and family praying for you, you know. And I tell you what, the best day of your life starts right here. Fantastic. For those of you who's... um, um, we, we've, got, we've got a VIP lounge at the back where we would just like to, to give you something before you go home, okay? And, and someone to pray with you, and you may have some questions. Um, Susan, is, are you in charge? Haley? I know, okay? She's a good friend. If you could follow... Kate, could you wave your hand, please? Could you follow this lady here to our VIP lounge there? Could you, could you just go for two minutes? Thank you. Just go this way. Could you go this way, sir? Okay. Fantastic. What? Yeah. Which one? All right. Can we need to, do you want to pray now? Yeah, yeah. We're going to pray for a gentleman before we go home. Um, uh, I don't know where Anne's going to go and get him. Why don't we give Jesus another clap, folks? I mean, this is so, so fantastic. People can say. This gentleman has, has requested prayer. We're going to believe it's a, we're going to believe that for a miracle here this morning. Stretch your hands toward this gentleman. Come here, sir. Can you come right close? I'm going to lay hands on you. Stretch your hands towards him right now. I want everyone to pray in the Holy Ghost. Can you do that? I come against this disease in Jesus' name and I curse it from the roots. 
Lord Jesus, this unfruitful disease that's robbing this man of life and health, in the name of Jesus, I curse it and command it to leave. I speak health into your body, life into your body in the powerful name of Jesus. If you need healing, put your hand on your on your body right now. Father, there's sickness in this building. I thank you right now for those that need healing in the name of Jesus in this house. Lord, I come against any heart condition, any blood disorder, any arthritis, any disorder, anything that is robbing people of joy and peace and life and health. I curse it now in Jesus' name and I speak life and blessing and health and joy and peace to everyone in this building. And everybody said, Noah, come on, let's do a song. We're going to praise God. Let's give the Lord another hand clap in this house right here.